0: So, if you have uh, a a Bible with you this morning, uh, I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Because it is so important that we take things in context, I'll give you a synopsis, even before we get to chapter 8, of what chapter 7 is about. Romans chapter 7 talks about how the law of the Old Testament was good, but the power of sin was greater than a natural person's desire to obey all 613 commandments of the law. It also talks about how the law has been replaced by something better. The Old Testament has been replaced by the New Testament and that the power of sin is only broken through Jesus Christ. So with this as a platform, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Starting from verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And I'll just stop there and, and, and just note that uh, I didn't realize how much the teaching this morning flowed into this message. And, um, and, and the, the songs, the, the Lord has really been weaving everything together like he does. So amazingly, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So now, with the power of Jesus in our lives, it is a choice whether we walk in the flesh or the Spirit, whether we follow the ways of God or our own selfish and sinful desires. It's no longer an impossibility when we have the Holy Ghost. Jesus living inside us, guiding us and prompting us when we are going down the wrong path. But it is still our choice to obey or disobey. Disobedience brings condemnation. But when we follow Jesus, we are free from condemnation. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Old Testament told mankind and particularly the Jews who were God's people what was right and wrong, what was sin and what was right, and how following sin brought death. But the Jews were trying to follow the law in their own human strength, which is never enough to break the power of sin. And so it was the law of death as well, because the natural person couldn't overcome sin. But Jesus brings life and freedom from the power Of sin. Verse 3 For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. The law was weak through the flesh because the flesh of mankind is more powerful than their desire to follow something good and godly. Only Jesus, fully God and fully man, he was the likeness of sinful flesh but he never sinned, could fulfill the law. Obey all 613 commandments and thereby condemn sin. Jesus is the only sinless human there ever has been, except for Adam and Eve before they chose sin and plunged the world into a lifetime of slavery and bondage to sin. If Adam and Eve had resisted temptation, the world would have been a completely different place. But now it is ruled by sin and depravity. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh. But after the spirit. When we choose Jesus and follow his ways. We obtain righteousness. The state of being right before God. Where we can come to his throne with boldness. And not fear. It's an amazing thing. To think. God had created everything. The God who is holy and just and pure and righteous, we can approach Him, being so flawed as we are. Verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. There is a complete difference in direction, in priorities for someone living after the flesh and someone living after the Spirit. There's a difference in thoughts, in feelings, in what matters the most. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The way that we think, what we prioritize the most, what we allow in our lives will lead either towards spiritual death or spiritual life and peace. There is no middle direction, despite what some people would hope or maybe even say, There's no tightrope line. You're either heading in one direction or the other to satisfy our flesh or to follow Jesus. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The law of the Old Testament has already taught us that we can't follow God in our natural selves. Our natural selves are born in sin and desire to sin more than the desire that we may have to follow God. So trying to follow Jesus in our natural person, using our own thoughts and ideas more than the word of God, is hatred or even war against God and his ways. You can't follow God using your own ways, your thoughts, and your ideas. Everything of us needs to be submitted to God to be able to follow Jesus. Verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. People walking after their own ways and ideas can't please God at all. Pleasing God isn't a sign of a powerful close walk with God. It's the minimum God expects from someone following his ways and his commandments. If you can't please God doing what you're doing, the way you're doing it, then it's going to lead to spiritual death. Verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have God himself living inside of us. We have all of the power we need to live in God's ways and above our fleshly sinful desires. As God was saying in the tongue interpretation this morning, being filled with the Holy Ghost is an essential part of salvation. Not an added extra because it marks us as part of the church. We are His. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If we have sinned in our lifetime, which is all of us, our bodies are marked with death. And not just natural death, but spiritual death as well. But when we have the Holy Ghost, there is a change in direction, from spiritual death to spiritual life. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. When we have the Holy Ghost, we have the same Spirit of God inside us that raised Jesus from the dead. We're talking about all power. We're talking about power to do something that Nobody else can. The Holy Ghost will give our physical body spiritual life while on this earth. And when Jesus comes back for the church, we'll go to be here with him for eternity. That is the power of God in us. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. And for that we are indebted to Jesus. We don't owe our natural flesh any whatsoever. We have no reason to keep walking after our own ways, thoughts, and ideas. We have something so much better. Verse 13, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. This is pretty plain. Spiritual death to those that gratify their flesh. Spiritual life to those who put down their flesh, resist temptation, and walk in Jesus' ways. Because through the power of Jesus in our lives, it's now a choice. It's not a foregone conclusion that we're going to sin now. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If we allow ourselves to be led by Jesus and not walk in our flesh, we are known by God as his sons and daughters. Take a moment to think about that. I don't think we realize exactly what that means usually. We kind of skip over it. Yeah, sons and daughters, that's cool. How amazing is that, that we are the sons and the daughters of God. Verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Following our flesh brings separation from God and fear into our lives. But following Jesus means that God has adopted us as his sons and daughters. That alone tells us that we didn't deserve it. We weren't born into sonship or daughtership. Following Jesus means that God has adopted us as his sons and daughters we are able to talk to him intimately, in intimate terms like Abba or our equivalent, Daddy. Just like a young child's love for their father who thinks they're the greatest dad in the world. Verse 16, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When we have the Holy Ghost and walk in Jesus' ways, there will be a special relationship and communion, a closeness with Jesus. We'll be able to feel and tell the difference when we're walking close to Jesus and when we're not. Verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Wow. Not only sons and daughters, but heirs with God, and joint heirs with Christ, We get an amazing inheritance and glory that we don't deserve. We are adopted into his family and his inheritance. But wait, what are the conditions again? Only if we also suffer with Jesus? That doesn't sound as attractive now, does it? But the next verse goes a bit further. Verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. An Olympic athlete goes through a whole lot of pain in putting their flesh in subjection for one goal, to win the gold medal. When they reach that goal, I can promise you that they're not even thinking about all the pain and the effort and the heartache that they've gone through to get where they are, standing on that podium with their gold medal over their neck. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that they have obtained. And it's a similar comparison. Any suffering in this lifetime, any resisting or putting down our flesh, any trials, temptations or persecutions that we suffer are nothing when compared with the prize of eternal life with Jesus. There will seem as nothing when we get that prize. It will be like a faded memory. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The word creature here isn't talking about animals. It's not talking about plants. It's not talking about the rocks or the planets or the stars. It's talking about God's highest created beings, mankind. It's talking about you and me. We're waiting for the time where we will live eternally with Jesus. Verse 20, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who is subjected, the same in hope. Vanity here is talking about what is devoid of truth and appropriateness, perverseness, depravity. Mankind has been subject to the effects of sin since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't God's will for that to happen, but God has subjected and destroyed the power of sin in our lives and made a way for us to have hope of salvation if we continue in his ways. Verse 21, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. From bondage of corruption to glorious freedom. From one opposite end of the spectrum to the other. There is no comparison of the two. It's not just another way, another path. It's a difference between life and death what Jesus offers based on what we had before him. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Once again, whole creation here isn't referring to animals or plants. It's referring to all mankind. The whole of mankind has been suffering the effects of sin and depravity since the fall of Adam and Eve. And not only they, verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So not only the world is groaning, we also are groaning. Even we who are saved groan within ourselves, because we desire to be in that better place of glory with Jesus forever, to reach the finish line, to receive the reward, to not fall short before the end. Of the race. Verse twenty four, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? If we'd already received it, why would we be hoping for it? We've got it. It's the hope of our salvation that keeps us on the straight and narrow path, but we haven't received it yet. We could still fall away, we could still fail, we could still not reach the finish line. But the hope of our salvation and eternal life keeps pushing us forward in the right direction. There's a struggle, there's a groaning, there's, there's a push to get over that finish line. Verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. We have precious promises from God. We just need to endure until the end. Not to give up, not to go back, not to quit. Just before the finish line. And it's truly getting close to that finish line. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Once again, there's a groaning. There's there's, there's a pushing. There's there's a struggle to, to get to where we're meant to be. God helps us to go the full distance by praying with us and for us when we pray in tongues under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus makes intercession for us on our behalf as well. We have everything going in our favor. We just need to choose to follow Jesus in the way that he wants us to. It's a choice. He's given us all power. He's given us the Spirit of God. He's given us everything that we need. We don't have to be under condemnation. We just have to choose to follow Him. Not live after our flesh, but walk in the Spirit. Verse 28, and this is the verse that the Lord gave to me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Even the sufferings and trials that we go through here on earth, God will use them to work good in us and in others through us. And we are all called to be saints in the church. That, 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 that saying, all things working together for good, isn't just for these special people who are the called. No, it's for all of us. We are all called. We are called to be saints. The church is the one that is called out, the ecclesiastical. As um, Ecclesia, as as the Greek refers to the church, we are called out of the world and into salvation, into righteousness and peace and victory. Verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The whom is the church age, the people in the church, not individual selected people who have been pre-chosen to be saved. But it goes out, just like I said in the teaching this morning, to all who will listen and obey the gospel. Anyone who desires to be saved can be saved. God doesn't pick and choose. But anyone who reaches out, anyone who says, God, I need you, he will reach out to them and call them. The church is predestinated not individual people. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate the church, them he also called. And whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. There's a special place with God for all who become part of the church. There's justification being made right in his sight. But someone explained it just as if I'd never sinned. And there's a glory that God also gives to us that can't be found In our natural flesh. Verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. When God is on our side, what power is greater than God that can withstand us? There's nothing greater than God. When we are on his side, victory is assured. 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Through Jesus, we have complete victory over sin and the power of sin. There's nothing greater than the ability to walk with Jesus, free from the power of sin and death. He truly gives us all things, everything that we need. Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Satan and other people may try to condemn us for our past. But Jesus, but God justifies us and cleanses our past when we repent and follow Jesus as his sons and and as his daughters. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Only sinless Jesus can condemn us, but he's on our side, interceding for us. Talk about having everything stacked in our favor. There's truly no excuse for us to walk away or to say it's too hard. We have everything going in our favor. If we just hold on, if we just keep going through whatever trial it is that we face, he will bring us through to the end. Everything is going in our favor. And then, verse 35, also a very famous passage of Scripture. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? This is a rhetorical question, as it becomes evident as we read further. None of these things can separate us from. The love of Christ. None of them. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. We will go through things in this life that are not pleasant. That might try us to our very core. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or care about us. It will not separate us from the love of God. Nay, verse 37, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know, if it had just said, we are conquerors, in all these things, we are conquerors through him that loved us, that's a powerful verse. But we are more than conquerors. We are more than victorious. We have a victory that is greater than just overcoming. It's conquering. It's over-conquering if you want to use that term. He has given us the victory over all of these things, the ability to walk with Jesus despite what we are going through. He's given us more than enough power, more than enough victory to overcome, to walk, to persevere, to keep going, no matter what comes our way. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, absolutely nothing, that's a pretty comprehensive list there, can separate us from the love of Christ. He loves us with a pure love And we've got everything on our side, and nothing can separate us from His love. If you would stand this morning, if I.